Well, y'all, I am delighted to be here again. I savor these opportunities to come and share with you. And this has been quite a weekend at RUMC. We had Alter Your Life. I wish I had stopped and counted how many years, but it's a bunch. I was an adult volunteer, the second AYL. I had a group of seventh grade boys, and I hung with them till about four in the morning, and I finally crashed and burned, and I woke up to find out they had rolled the basement of our host home. I personally was so proud of them, but I had to be an adult, and I acted like they had done something a little wrong and told them they had to clean up their mess, but what a fine moment that was. So this is um, AYL weekend, and a, a specific prayer of mine is that everyone who's been involved has had their lives altered. And if I remember what I want to pray for at the end, I will pray that specifically. The theme of AYL has been the red letters. And so being the incredibly creative person that I am, I decided to title this sermon, The Red Letters. And just to give you an idea of actually how creative I am, I've been blessed to lead a Bible study with young adults, I think for eight years, and we titled that Young Adult Bible Study. Then um, I worked for my dad's business for 35 years without counting. And it my last name is Kramer, and you can guess that the name of our business was Kramer Corporation. So not a creative bone in my body, so that's how we came up with the title, The Red Letters. As somebody who suffers from ADD and has never been medicated for it, I know how important it is to practice the KISS principle and to attempt to be brief. And also, I'm even going to let you know my two goals from this morning up front in the event that you zone out on me two to five minutes into this lesson. So the first goal is the importance of getting to know Jesus through the Word. That's the first goal, and our first three Scriptures will deal with that. The second is the importance of following Jesus and trusting Him like sheep trust their shepherd, and we'll get into that in a little bit. So let's start with our first Scripture, which is Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And just to frame this for you, this is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew deals with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three entire chapters devoted to the Sermon on the Mount. And he concludes with this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. The words of Jesus, not my words, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So, again, I emphasize, this is how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about a wise person and a foolish person. A wise person is somebody who hears God's Word and puts it into practice, that is, obeys it. And, and he will be building his house, that is his life, on a solid foundation, the rock. And when rains come, streams rise, and winds bl blow and beat against that house, his life, he will be able to stand. He will not crash. And um, so here the... The rain, the streams, and the wind can refer to stuff, bad stuff in our lives. I think specifically of the loss of something, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of self-esteem, the loss of direction. When bad stuff comes, if we hear Jesus' words and put them into practice, we will be able to stand. However, if we hear the teaching of Jesus and we choose not to put that into practice, we will be like a foolish person who built their house on sand. And y'all can just picture this imagery, a house built on, a, on sand ain't going to stand. When rains come and streams rise and winds blow and beat against that house, it will fall with a great cat crash just like we will if we hear Jesus' words and do not put them into practice. All right, now um, we're going to move to Mark, and, and just for the record, the title of this lesson is The Red Letters, and we are going to look at one passage in Matthew, one passage in Mark, one passage in Luke, and one passage in John. This is not necessarily chronological order, but it is in the order of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So, in Mark, chapter 10, verses 33 through 34, here we have Jesus predicting His death for the third time. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They'll condemn Him to death will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So again, the third time that Jesus gives his disciples this warning. The warning goes in one ear and out the other ear. They don't hear it. They don't pay attention to it. They don't remember it because it's not what they wanted to hear. They are expecting Jesus to be a conquering king, coming in for, for their defense to save them from the rule of the Romans riding on a white stallion. The last thing they expect is to see Jesus riding in on a donkey as a suffering Messiah. 
And so, do you remember what happens to the disciples when Jesus gets arrested? They desert Him because they so expected a conquering king when they got a suffering Messiah, they were disillusioned. They were brokenhearted. They thought, what the heck have I been doing these three years? Because their expectations of Jesus were unrealistic. We need to get to know Jesus through the Word so that our expectations of Him will be realistic, not unrealistic. Some of you have heard me share my testimony briefly, and part of it is I spent 18 years mad at God because my expectations of Him were unrealistic. I took one little verse, and I focused on that, and the result was I spent 18 years mad at Him. My heart grew harder and harder. Thanks be to God that He drug me back to Him. So now, we're going to go back to the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and we will be considering three verses in Luke. And this is when Jesus had spent 40 days in the wilderness without food, and Satan comes along and tempts him in three different ways. And in each way, Jesus responds with Scripture. Wouldn't it be wonderful when Satan tempts us if we could respond with Scripture, if we have stored up enough of God's Word in our heart that we can say, "Uh uh-uh, Satan, it is written. Well, that's what Jesus does three times. The first one is Luke 4.4, where Satan says to him, if you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. All right, now stop and think. Jesus has gone 40 days without food. If Jesus had consulted with me, I probably would have said, don't go that long without food. But He didn't consult with me, although some would claim that I'm old enough that I was around back then. So, I don't know about y'all, but if I miss a meal, I can get hangry, I think is the saying. I can actually get hangry. Jesus went 40 days, so of course He'd be hungry. Satan says, if you're really the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus replies with, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Then Satan tries something different. He says, tell you what, if you'll worship me, all the kingdoms of the world will be yours. And Jesus replies with Luke 4, 8, where he says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Jesus is ready for Satan because He knows the Scripture. Satan tries one last time. He takes him to a really high place. I'm thinking that's the highest point of the temple, but don't hold me to that. Let's go with a really high place. He takes him to a really high place and says, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down and God and His angels will protect you. Well, in 2024, if Satan had been, had redneck tendencies like me, he would have said, I double-dog dare you. And Jesus still would have replied with Luke 4.12, 
It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So each time Satan tempted Jesus, he was able to reply by quoting God's Word. That's why um, I know if you've heard me teach here more than once, you're hearing some of the same thoughts as you've heard in the past. But I am so passionate about getting to know God's Word. Because as I get to know God's Word, I get to know God. When I get to know Him, I have no choice but to fall in love with Him more and want to follow Him more closely. So we got all kinds of Bible study opportunities at this church, certainly in Sunday school classes. And Wednesday night, I'm not sure how many Bible studies we have, but I think it's close to six. So you ought to be able to find a Bible study to become a part of. All right, now I'm going to transition. We've just talked about the importance of knowing Jesus through the Word. And now I want to talk about the importance of following Him like sheep follow a good shepherd. This analogy is somewhat wasted on us today because the average person in here is not a shepherd. The average person in here probably doesn't know a shepherd. The average person in here probably hasn't seen a shepherd in action. But shepherds are willing to lay down their lives for their sheep. And somehow, some way, the sheep get that, and the, che- the sheep follow the shepherd. So our first verse is John 10, 11, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. By the way, this is one of the seven I am statements in the book of John. And if you want to do a little mini Bible study on your own, go through John and just read the seven I am statements and sort of kind of the context around them. But this, this is one of the seven. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So picture with me for a moment. Jesus is the good shepherd, and we as followers of Jesus are his sheep. We follow him. And I, in case you need this spelled out, he says he lays down his life for the sheep. Well, that's exactly what he did. He chose to die on the cross in our place for our sins. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if it's willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not your will, but mine. Jesus didn't want to go through what he was fixing to go through. He knew he was fixing to go through it, but he didn't want to go through it. So he said, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And then he says, nevertheless, your will, not mine. And then you may remember, I'm pretty sure it's Peter who pulls out a sword and cuts the ear of, of one of the people that comes to arrest him. And this will be my paraphrase, but he says, um, he says, put your sword away. Don't you know that if I wanted to, I could call 12 legions of angels and they would come here to rescue me? We all... 12 legions of angels is 72,000 angels. So that is a bunch of angels that Jesus could have called to come to His rescue, but He chose not to because He 
laid down his life for us. He loved us so much that he was willing to die on the cross in our place for our sins. Now let's listen to this beautiful explanation of Jesus being the shepherd and our being the sheep. It's found in John 10, 27 through 29. And he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So as I go through this, just sort of plug your name into where he says, my sheep. Kramer listens to my voice. I know him and he follows me. I'll stop with that and just keep on with the reading. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for us, the sheep. And we listen to his voice and we follow him. And he gives us eternal life. And I'm going to be just a wee bit evangelical right now and say, well, how the heck does He give us eternal life? And it's oh so simple. There's no magic formula. There's no magic word, but it has to do with our choosing to follow Him. It has to do with our choosing to say yes to the gift He gives us, the gift of eternal life. It has to do with our surrendering with our, trust, with our believing Him to the point that we trust Him. And if you haven't made that decision, it's oh so easy to do. You just say something so very simple like, Dear Jesus, thank You for being the Good Shepherd who laid down Your life for me and I choose to follow You. That's it. It's that simple. All right, so... Um, Marion told me if I didn't finish by 11.50, she would shoot me. So, she really didn't. I'm just saying that. Um, thus endeth the lesson on the red letters. We looked at one passage from Matthew, one from Mark, one from Luke, and one from John. And there are so many other wonderful teachings about the red letters. Um, but let me close in prayer. I want you all to know that if I re remember everything, I'm going to remember to pray for a young man that I just met who's got an interview tomorrow morning. I'm going to pray for a dear sister who's got surgery co coming up. I'm going to pray for the results of AYL and that we will be able to retain and apply what we've heard this morning. Holy smoke, how can anybody with ADD remember all that? But let's, let's give it a go. Pray with me. Father, I pray for Zach, and I pray for her, his interview tomorrow, that it will go well, that your will will be done. Help Zach to find the job you want him to have. And then I pray for my dear sister who's got surgery coming up this week. I pray that you will bless her and her husband and their families with comfort, strength, and peace as they approach the surgery, and then I pray for successful surgery and complete healing. 
Father, thank you that we've had AYL this weekend. Alter your life. I pray that all lives have been altered. And then finally, thanks for this opportunity to teach this morning. I pray that you will help us to apply to our lives that which you want us applying so that we will follow you more closely, know your word better. In Jesus' name, amen.